the book of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23. I want to share with you what the Lord laid upon my heart a number of weeks ago, and then God just over the last few weeks has begun to develop this in my, in my soul, and, and I want to try to see if I can pass it off to you, what the Lord has, has given me. God's done something very special at Calvary Baptist Church in the last two weeks. We've had nine people born again in two weeks, Amen. and we thank the Lord for that. Uh, God's just been doing something very special, very unique, and we thank the Lord and we praise the Lord for that. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think God's done. I don't think God's done. And so I want to I want to give you what, what I believe is a is a message from the Lord today. This is a different kind of a message, though, for a Sunday morning. It's got a lot of scripture. This is almost this this would be a, a little bit more like a Wednesday night Bible study type thing. We're gonna turn our Bibles a lot of places today. Um, I'm gonna give you a lot in a little bit of time, and so you're gonna have to really listen on purpose today. Um, but I hope it'll be, I hope it'll be a help to you. So when you find your place in Luke chapter 23, let's all stand this morning. And I've got, uh, verse 39, starting in verse 39, but we're going to back up just a little bit from that. And we're going to start and, uh, we're going to start in, let's see here. Verse number 32, verse number 32, Luke chapter 23 and verse number 32, the Bible says, and there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right, right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding and the rulers also with them derided them, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. For we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily, I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You may be seated this morning. And just for a few moments, I want to talk to you about that subject you see on the screen, a deathbed conversion a deathbed conversion. What exactly is a deathbed conversion? Well, I'm going I'm to tell you what a deathbed conversion is. And I, honestly, I, I believe this. I, probably in 30 years of pastoring at Calvary, I don't think I've ever preached on this before. And so this is a little different content, a little different subject this morning. Uh, it's going to be a little 
instructive, informative, that kind of a thing. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you from Scripture, uh, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, there were some things I sort of had in the outline that I sort of chunked. And all you preachers know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we'll put things in the outline, but we can't necessarily back those up from Scripture. And so I sort of deleted those. And so we're going to just really pay attention to what the Scripture says today. And I want to talk to you a little bit about a deathbed conversion. So let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. And man, let's really ask the Lord to help us today. Father, we thank you for your blessings. And Lord, already I sense a sense of, of soberness, sobriety in this service today. Lord, a wonderful spirit, uplifting spirit, spirit of encouragement. Well, Lord, as we take just a few moments though, and as we talk about salvation once again, and we talk about eternity, and Lord, what eternity holds. Lord, I pray that you'll knit our hearts together today. God, I pray that you'll, uh, Lord, I pray that you'll clear the way, Lord, to accomplish your perfect will. Father, the best we know how, we plead the precious blood of Jesus over the service. And God, I pray that you would bind the powers of darkness. God, I pray that you'd bind the powers of distraction. And Lord, I pray that you would accomplish your wonderful and holy will today. Father, I pray that you'd touch us today. And not just me, but the congregation. Lord, touch us physically. And I pray that you would, uh, Lord, give us stamina, to give us energy to, to be able to listen. And then I, I pray that you'd give us, a, uh, give us a desire, Lord, to learn something from thy precious book today. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit Lord, that we might speak in such a way that it would glorify the Savior, but God, that it might be interesting, captivating maybe to your people. And Lord, I pray especially for that one that is nearest hell today. Now, they don't know it, but I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would show them. And I pray they would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. It could be someone here. It could be someone watching by way of the live stream. But God, regardless of that, I pray that you save that one that's lost and undone without Jesus and God, I pray that you'd challenge our hearts about this thing of soul winning and evangelism and getting a gospel, the gospel out to this lost and this dying world. Oh, God in heaven, help us now. God, we've got to have your help. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. And so, Lord, this is that place where the, where the arm of the flesh will fail you every time. And so, God, I pray now that you'll breathe upon us and touch us and help us. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we ask these things in Jesus' precious name and for his sake, and all God's people said, amen. And the story we read today is probably among the most famous of all the deathbed conversions. As we read Luke chapter 23, Jesus is hanging on that middle cross. He's joined by two of what the Bible calls malefactors, and in just and the word malefactor just basically means criminals. We're not exactly sure what type of criminals these men were. We, uh, we know that Barabbas was really sentenced to die that day. They released him instead of Jesus. And the Bible says that Barabbas was guilty of sedition. He was guilty of murder. I'm not exactly sure what these men were being crucified for, but we know they were criminals and, and that's enough. We also notice that one of the other gospel tells us that early on, both of these men cursed the Lord. 
But somewhere along the line, and, and, and that's, you know, uh, people say, well, there's a contradiction of Scripture. Not a contradiction of Scripture. Amen. It's just that somewhere along the line, one of these criminals, after being on the cross for a while, began to notice that there was something different about the man in the middle. He began to notice that his spirit was different, his reactions were different. He began to notice that this man's life was not taken from him. He noticed that this man laid his life down. They had never seen anything like that. By the way, in that day and time, they had saw hundreds and even thousands crucified by Rome. And so this was not something that they had never watched before, but it was something different because they, they had saw many men dragged to the cross and forcibly nailed to the cross. But the Bible says about our Savior that he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he opened not his mouth. He could have called 12 legions of angels, and yet the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life that day. And little by little, that day as the story unfolded, I believe what happened was this one criminal, uh, it, it, it became apparent to him that this man truly was the son of God. He was what he said he was. And literally, literally, what seems to be just a few short moments before this malefactor dies, we find the story here in Luke chapter 23 where he calls on Jesus as Savior. By the way, just a short nine-word prayer. <laughs> nine words. Lord, remember me. When thou comest into thy kingdom. I'm guessing this man didn't know a lot about fancy prayers. Would you all agree with that? I'm, I'm guessing this man didn't know what redemption was all about. He didn't understand justification. I'm sure there was a lot of theology that this man did not understand, but he did understand one thing, that Jesus was the Son of God. And he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom, a, a short, simple, nine-word prayer. And of course, we see the Lord's response. And Jesus said, verily or truly, verily, I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And so we notice here that, that this man, according to scripture, that this man gains eternal life. He's given eternal life. But my point that I want to make today is this, but he barely, barely makes it in. In fact, if you go back and read some of the other gospels, you'll find out that that right after Jesus yields up the ghost, the Bible says that they send in some Roman soldiers and the, and the idea is this, that they're gonna break the legs of the criminals. By this time, they're suffocating on their own fluids. They're suffocating on their own blood. They, they have to push up uh, their nails in their feet. They have to push up to, to, to get the, the weight off of their lungs so they can take some oxygen in. And then they go down to exhale and so they push up. And, and, so, uh, and so the Roman soldiers go out. They break the legs of these criminals so they can no longer push up. And, and, and literally what's going on is they're literally suffocating to death and our Bible tells us that when they came to the Lord Jesus, he was already dead. And so they didn't break his bones, which by the way was prophesied in scripture would happen. But they did pierce his side. And the Bible says that blood and water came out of his side. Here's a man in Luke chapter 23 that has lived his entire life apart from Jesus. And just moments before passing, he becomes a believer. 
and he's promised eternal life. Recently, one of our men in this congregation had the opportunity of talking to one of his friends and, and he was able to lead that man to trust Christ just really, just literally days, almost hours really before this man went out into eternity. And by the way, we rejoice over that. We rejoice that this man came to know Christ and we're glad that he got saved. We're glad that, that he gained eternal life. We're glad that, that he's in heaven. We're, we're, we're thankful for that. But, but that day that that happened and, and one of our men let us know that, man, this was a day of rejoicing. And it really was. The Bible says that, that there's rejoicing in heaven over, uh, over one sinner that repents. And so it was truly a day of rejoicing. But, but that day... Uh, or just a day or so after that happened, I begin to think about that, that, that thought. I begin to think about uh, a deathbed conversion. I wonder what it's like if you were to die, if you were on your deathbed and you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, really just moments or hours before you go out into eternity, I wonder what it's going to be like for that person that trusts Christ just moments before they go out into eternity. So I begin to get in my Bible and I begin to study my Bible and, 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 and I want to give you a few things today if I could concerning what it's going to be like for someone who experiences a last minute conversion. What's that going to be like? Well, first of all, let me tell you some things that these folks won't experience. Number one, they will not experience stress. Or what I would say, fear. Fear. I, I, they, they won't experience fear. Now, I said that, say this. How many know this? Boy, people are terrified of death, aren't they? they I mean, they are. They, I mean, we, it's true. People are just absolutely terrified. They are terrified of death. They don't want to plan their funeral. They don't want to purchase life insurance. They don't want to visit the funeral home, uh, you know, just to support family or friends because the thought of death literally terrifies them. I mean, it just, it absolutely scares them to death. If you were to drive to California today and, uh, and get on the Pacific Highway there in Los Angeles and, and make your way up to San Francisco, California, if you came to a place called San Simeon, California, it's right there, it's a beautiful, beautiful place, right there on the, the beautiful Pacific Highway, San Simeon, California. Uh, really, there's not a whole lot out there. I mean, you've got mountains on one side, you've got the Pacific Ocean on the other side, but as you're making your way through San Simeon, there is something that really, really stands out. And that is this, that as you're looking up on the mountain there, there is a castle. Uh, when I say castle, I'm talking about a full castle. It is absolutely mind-blowing. It's, 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 uh, it's called Hearst Castle, and some of our folks have been there. It was built by a man by the name of William Randolph Hearst. He was born in 1863, and he was one of the, the, one of the wealthiest, most powerful men of the 20th century. In fact, they said that, that William Hearst was worth over $500 million back in that time of day. would have been uh, equal to billions and billions of dollars in this day and time. And he built this enormous castle there in San Simeon, California. 90,000 square feet. Took him 28 years to build this place. I mean, it is, it is really, go online and look at it. Hearst Castle. It's an amazing thing. The state of California has now purchased it and they've made a 
Uh, I think a California park out of it, uh, that kind of thing. And you can take tours through it and all all those kind of things. Uh, 115 rooms, 38 bedrooms, 40 bathrooms. It is one of the largest homes anywhere in America. And the only other home that even comes close to it uh, is uh, the Biltmore in Asheville, North Carolina. And so this was the place, Hearst Castle, this was the place uh, of what was known as the elite You see, if you were one of Hollywood's finest, occasionally William Hearst would invite you to come up to the castle. If you ever received an invitation to Hearst Castle, you knew you had arrived. You had made it big. I mean, it was the ultimate. I mean, if if you got invited there, it was the ultimate invitation. And so often on the weekends, William Hurst would have movie stars drive from Hollywood and, and all over Los Angeles, and they would come up to visit Hearst Castle. But as they came there, they were, as those, as those very prominent people walked through the doors, they were advised of one very strict rule. And the rule was this, while you're on the property of Hearst Castle, you are not allowed to mention the word death and if you're caught mentioning the word death you will be immediately escorted off the property and you will never be invited back ever again you say wow preacher odd it really was eccentric yes let me tell you the reason that William Hurst did that because William Hurst was terrified of death one of the richest men that ever lived one of the most powerful men that ever lived, but terrified of death. Now I said that say this. Did you know for the child of God, I am assured beyond any shadow of a doubt, I am assured that for the child of God, when death comes, there will be not one solitary ounce of fear. None. Zero. Nada. I mean, there won't be any. And, and here's the thing. The world, is just, the, the world is just scared out of their minds. But I want you to understand something, children of God, those of you who are here this morning, and you know you've been born again, you know you've been saved, and you say, preacher, what's going to happen when that day comes? And, uh, well, you know, when my day of death comes? Well, I don't know everything, but I can tell you this based upon the authority of the Word of God, that when that day comes, that death comes knocking on your door, I promise you something, that there will be, no fear involved. None. They say, preacher, where do you get that? Well, let's start turning in our Bibles to a few places this morning. I want you to turn over with me, first of all, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And I want you to look at, at verse number 54. And the Bible gives us insight onto that day. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 54 And I'm going to go ahead and start reading while you're finding your places. 1 Corinthians 15, and look at verse number 54. The Bible says, So when this corruptible shall happen on incorruption, and this mortal shall happen on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Here it is. Death is swallowed up in, what's the word? 
victory. Notice that now. I believe I have a perfect Bible this morning. I don't believe there's any, any word there that's there by accident. And the Bible says that death is swallowed up in victory. Verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the, what's the word? Victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. My dear friend, that doesn't sound like fear. That doesn't sound like trepidation. That doesn't sound like, uh, that doesn't sound like uh, uh, someone that's terrified. It sounds like to me that when that day comes, when death comes knocking, when we finally take that last breath, I'm telling you what, it's not only not a day of fear, but my dear friend, it is a day of absolute victory. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7, the Lord said this, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, if God is true and he is, then that means this, that, 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 that you don't have to worry about being scared to death. You don't have to worry about being fearful. I'm telling you that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when that day comes, I can promise you this, there will be no fear. Psalm 116, 15, the Bible says, precious, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. But I want to go a step further. Not only, and y'all pray, we got to hurry, wow. Not only will there not be fear, but if my Bible's true, and it is true, it looks like, at least what I've studied out, that every child of God when death comes, you're going to receive an angelic escort into the presence of our Heavenly Father. Now, we have something like that here at Calvary. We call it the hospitality team. What do you mean? Well, let me tell you, and, 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 and that's true. You know what our hospitality team, our hospitality team is here, and, and their job pretty much is this, is to take the awkwardness out of church. When people come here and they don't know where to go, they don't know where the nurseries are, they don't know where the restrooms are, they don't know anybody, they feel a little awkward, a little timid, our hospitality team greets them at the door, opens the door for them, shakes their hand, invites them to the nursery, shows them where the restrooms are, uh, leads them to the auditorium, show them, shows them where the refreshments are. And the whole idea is this, that the hospitality team is taking the awkwardness out of coming into a new place. Did you know that God has his own hospitality team? That's right. You say, Pastor, what, what you know, uh, what, what's heaven going to be like? I mean, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be fearful. No, 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 no. Brother, when you close your eyes here, God's hospitality team is going to take over and they're going to meet you and they're going to greet you and they're going to escort you in the presence of the Lord. And I believe they're going to stay with you and I believe they're going to show you around and I believe they're going to introduce you. And listen, and, and, and listen, you're going to receive an angelic escort into glory. You say, Pastor, you are way out there today. I mean, you are way out there. I don't think so. Hey, remember the story in Luke chapter 16? The Bible implies that that, that that beggar, although he was a poor man, in fact, the Bible says he just desired the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. He couldn't even afford to put salve on his sores. He couldn't afford food to eat. But yet he was a righteous man. 
And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 16, verse number 22, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. How many remember the story in 2 Kings chapter 2 where the prophet Elijah is getting ready to go to heaven and the Bible says that he was escorted into heaven by way of a chariot of fire and horses of fire. Someone says, what in the world, pastor? What is a chariot of fire and horses of fire? Let me tell you what it is. It's angels. It's angels. Uh, you say, what are you, what are you talking? You can just write this down if you want to. How about uh, Psalm 68, 17? Listen to this. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them. Hey, 2 Kings chapter 6, remember the story where Elisha is down in a little place, I think it was Dothan, I think that's right, and the Bible says the Syrian army encompasses the house. Y'all remember that story? The Bible says that Elisha's preacher boy, his servant gets up early in the morning, he's going in there, he's fixing the coffee, he's getting breakfast ready, he pulls the blinds back, and he sees the armies of Syria all around the house, and he says, alas, my master, alas, my master, what shall we do? And the Bible says that Elisha the prophet prayed and said, Lord, would you open his eyes? Hey, listen to what it says. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. And it says, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying that when death comes, you're going to receive an angelic escort into glory. It's believed this. It's believed that the patriarch Moses was escorted by angels into glory. Jude chapter 1 tells us that Michael the archangel disputed with, uh, with Satan over the body of Moses. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse number 16 when the rapture of the church takes place which by the way could be today did you know there's going to be angelic interaction during that time of the rapture of the church did you know that when Jesus Christ himself ascended back to heaven the Bible tells us there were angels there that day as he ascended back to heaven now what are you saying I'm saying I don't know everything about death but I do know this that when death comes you don't have to worry I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. Man, just listen. Just be encouraged and know that God's in control and, and there will be no stress. There will be no fear. Number two, quickly, how about this? We know this. They will not experience suffering. They will not experience suffering. Someone that, that, that has a deathbed conversion, there's no fear. Someone that has a deathbed conversion, there's no suffering. There's no pain. Luke 16, 25 says it like this. But Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivedest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Boy, what a blessing. Those that have cancer, no more cancer. Those that have Alzheimer's, no more Alzheimer's. Those that have Parkinson's, no more Parkinson's. Those that, uh, that, that have different ailments and afflictions, boy, I'm so glad that, that, they'll, that they will not experience suffering or pain. How about this? They will not experience separation from God. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 says it like this. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the, the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. 
2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And so that person that is saved on their deathbed, boy, thank God for this, they will not experience separation from God. By the way, church, just in case you're wondering, that will be the worst thing about dying lost. You said it'll be the flames of hell. The flames of hell will not be the worst thing about dying without God. The worst thing about dying without the Lord will be that forever and ever and ever, you will be without the presence of the Lord. You'll be eternally separated from the love of God, the mercy of God, the comfort of God, the long-suffering of God, the blessing of God, the help of God uh, forever. I mean, forever and ever and ever, you will be apart from, from, from the Lord, separated forever from God. And I'm going to tell you what, man, if there wasn't a hell, and, and there is, but if there wasn't a hell, I'd still get saved. Because well, I want to spend eternity with my Lord. Now, here's the thing. So somebody says, well, wow. Deathbed, deathbed conversion. No stress. No suffering. No separation. Well, you know what, Pastor? That means that, man, I could just sort of do my own thing and live it up and party and and right before, I, right before I die, man, I'll, I'll get saved and everything will be okay. Well, number one, you don't know when you're going to die. But number two, that's not the end of the story. And so someone who dies what we would call a deathbed conversion, they will not experience stress. They will not experience suffering. They will not experience separation from God. But let me tell you some things that they will experience. Number one, they will experience loss. Now, I want you to take your Bibles with me this morning, please, and, and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 in your Bibles. And, uh, boy, very important here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and find your place in verse number 10, if you will. The Bible says in verse number 10, according to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and other buildeth their own. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than, than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a what? A reward. Look at verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Here it is. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. In other words, he barely made it in. He made it in, but he barely made it in. But the Bible says they will experience loss. Now, this is just my thought. When I read that, this is what I thought about. Did you know you have to possess something before you can lose it? I have to possess keys before I can say, I lost my keys. 
And the Bible tells us that for those who have lived for themselves, for those who have, have, have just pretty much lived their own life and did their own thing and, 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 and did what they wanted to do, the Bible says that they will suffer loss. Now, this is what I believe. I believe that in God's sovereignty, God has prepared rewards for all of his creation. I believe in his sovereignty and his providence. I believe God has already laid those rewards up for you and he's already laid those rewards up for me. But as a child of God decides to do their own thing, that's what happens. Those rewards are lost. Or if someone decides, you know what, I'm not gonna get saved today, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year, and they keep putting salvation off and putting salvation off and putting salvation off and putting salvation off, those rewards that God had, had in store for them, those rewards are never claimed. There will be loss. Let me see if I can illustrate. Truett Cathy, Truett Cathy is the founder of, of Chick-fil-A. You may not know Truett Cathy, but you know Chick-fil-A. And we love Chick-fil-A and appreciate uh, his business and all of that. Uh, Truett Cathy is with the Lord now. A number of years ago, he, he wrote a book called It's Better to Build Boys Than Mend Men. It's a good book. I read that book. It's a good book. Truett Cathy there in Georgia, he had a large farm, almost like a ranch type thing, barns and ponds and lakes and all kind of stuff. And, and he had a heart for young men, especially young men that came from troubled homes. And so he would do this from time to time. He would invite young men from around the, the, the country. He would invite those young men to his farm. And while they were there, he would teach them things. He would teach them how to fish. He would teach them uh, how to do some chores, how to, uh, you know, how to get up hay or or uh, how to work in the barn, around the barn, that kind of thing. And they would, they would work you know, together, and they would do fun things too, but they would work together, and he would try to pour into them spiritually while they were there. He had a certain young man that, he, that had come in, and this uh, boy, if I remember the story right, this boy was, I think, from the city, was from an urban environment. He came from a rough background. He came from a, a broken home. And, uh, and, and, and true Kathy got this boy, uh, this young boy, and he said, son, he said, uh, and he was a teenager, uh, up in teens, and he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And back in that day, we had cassettes. Now, you kids don't know what cassettes are, but uh, it used to be this little thing, a little square thing, and it had tape on it, and, and you'd slide it in. And that, anyway, that's how we played music, and, and uh, you know, we didn't have CDs and iPods and anyway, you know where I'm going with that. And so uh, Truett Cathy gave this young teenage boy a album of, of uh, cassettes and they had preaching on it. And he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to start at tape number one. He said, I want you to listen to tape number one, then listen to tape two, tape three, tape four, and just go all the way through. And he said, uh, and then in a few weeks, he said, we're gonna get back together. And he said, I want you to sort of tell me, uh, I want you to tell me what this preaching did for you. Well, sure enough, after a few weeks, they came back together and Truett Cathy sort of recognized this young man was sort of avoiding him. And he said to this teenage boy, he said, you didn't listen to the preaching, did you? And the boy sort of hung his head and, and he said, Mr. Cathy, he said, I meant to. He said, I know I should have. He said, I listened to a couple tapes and he said, I, I just got busy doing other things and, and he said, I just, I never finished it. And truth, Kathy said, I, I knew you did. He said, do what? He said, I knew you didn't finish. And he said, how did you know? 
He said, because what you didn't know was on the last tape in the cassette album, he said, I had made my own recording at the very, very end. And it said this, young man, I am so proud of you for listening to all this preaching. And because you've made your way through all these preaching tapes, I'm going to buy you a brand new car. But he lost out. Are y'all hearing me today? And one of these days, church, I'm just as sure, just as sure as I'm here, we're going to get in heaven one of these days and the Lord is going to say, you're not going to believe what I had in store for you. Oh, yes, good neighbors. It's preaching time right now. I had rewards that would boggle your mind, rewards that would blow your, I mean, blow your mind, things that I had in store for you, things that I had uh, waiting for you, and yet because you decided to do your own thing or because you decided to wait and wait and hesitate and procrastinate, and one of these days I'm going to serve the Lord, and one of these days I'm going to get saved, and one of these days I'll do it, not today, not today, not today, not today, not today, but one of these days I will, one of these days, and kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, and putting it off. I want to tell you what, hey, if you get born again on your deathbed, you may make it to heaven, but I'm going to tell you what you're going to have. You're going to experience loss. Loss. A loss of rewards. But how about this? Not only loss, but you're going to experience less. Now you say, Brother Steve, what are you talking about? Well, number one, just think with me. Number one, Someone that's saved on their deathbed will experience less rejoicing. You say, where in the world do you get that? Okay, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 19. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 19. And notice what the Apostle Paul says here. This is so important. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 19, Paul says, let me give you a second to get there because this is so important. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19. Paul said, for what is our hope or joy? Look what he says, or crown of rejoicing. Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? Did you know one of the sweeter things about heaven, as Brother Mike sang this morning, we're going to meet our Savior first of all. Well, that's going to be the ultimate. But you know one of the sweeter things about heaven, I believe, is going to be meeting those people we pointed to Jesus. Amen. Are y'all with me? Man, those folks that we gave a gospel track to, those folks that, 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 that we walked to the altar and we helped them to get saved or those folks that we invited to church hoping to get them under the sound of the gospel so they could come to know Jesus as their Savior. Now, we can't save them, but we can point. Right. That's all we do. We just point. I can't save anybody, but I can point them to the one who can. And one of these days in heaven, man, what a joy it's going to be when we get to meet folks that, uh, you Sunday school teachers, you godly Sunday school teachers that have taught and taught and taught and, and you've given invitations in your class and a little boy got saved or a little girl got saved and one of these days in heaven, they're going to run up to you and they're going to say, thank you for telling me about Jesus and thank you for running a bus route and thank you for witnessing my family and thank you for telling me about Jesus and hey, one of the sweeter things about glory is 
with that. We'll be able to rejoice over all those that are in heaven because we witness to them. But those who are saved on their deathbed, less rejoicing. In fact, in fact, they not only did not point anybody to Jesus, they pointed a lot to hell. And so, for eternity, there'll be less rejoicing. But then I thought about this, there'll be less radiance. Daniel chapter 12 in your Bibles. Daniel chapter 12, look at verse number three, if you will. Daniel chapter 12 and verse number three. I'm hurrying. We're going to be done here in just a moment. Daniel chapter 12 and verse number three. I'm going to have to pick up the speed here. Daniel chapter 12, verse number three. Notice what the Bible says here in, in verse number three. And they that be wise shall If you found your place, what does it say? And they that be wise shall what? They shall shine as the, what's the word? Brightness of the firmament. Look at this last part. And they that turn many to righteousness. That's what I'm talking about. Pointing people to Jesus. And they that turn many to righteousness as the what? As the stars forever and ever. Now, I don't understand all of this. I'm not going to tell you that I understand all of this. But, but the Bible says this, that if you're a soul winner and if you're doing your best to try to get people into the kingdom, that one of these days you are going to shine with a heavenly radiance then you say, preacher, explain all that. I don't know that I can explain all that, but I, but I thought about it like this. I do know the difference. I do know the difference between a vehicle that shines and a vehicle that is dull and unattractive. You ever seen somebody pull into a pull, pull up, maybe got a brand new car, brand new, brother. I mean, just off the showroom floor. You can comb your hair in it. I mean, it's like a mirror. I mean, everything's shining. The wheels are shining. Paint job is shining. There's no bugs on the windshield. You're like, whoa, wow. Wait a minute now. You ever saw somebody pull up who had washed the car in three years? The pollen is baked on. The luster is a thing of the past. Never waxed it, never washed it, never cleaned it. Every time they get out, you know, McDonald's cup falls out. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it's, it, it's, a, it's a holy terror now. I don't know all about this, but I know the difference between something that shines and something that is dull. And I know, I know, I know this, that if someone dies on their deathbed, there's going to be less radiance. But I thought about this, Calvary, there's going to be less reward. Less reward. Turn back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 again. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 14. I'll, I'm going to move quiet. I'm going I'm I'm to move, move quickly here. Y'all hang with me. Less rejoicing, less radiance, less reward. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 14. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, I guess here's the thing. Somebody says, okay, preacher, is it really a big deal? Okay, less reward. Okay, I get it, pastor. Okay, but here's here's what I'm thinking, preacher. At least I made it in. So 
So is it, I mean, really, preacher, when it comes down to brass tacks, you know, does it really matter that I have less reward as long as I made it in? You better know it matters. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation what's going to happen in heaven. Did you know there's coming a day when the Bible says that in glory that those beasts of heaven will begin to shout out the praises and the worship of God. Then the Bible says that the, the elders will fall down on their faces. The church, by the way, will fall down before him and we will begin to worship him. And the Bible says that they will take off their crowns. They will take their rewards. And the Bible says that they will begin to cast their rewards at the feet of the Savior. Lord, I'm not worthy. If I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell. But you're worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and praise. And, and we'll take those crowns and those rewards and we'll cast them at the Savior's feet. Listen, can you imagine being in heaven one of these days when all of heaven is casting their crowns and casting their rewards and you're standing there empty-handed? You ever showed up to a party somewhere where everybody's giving gifts to someone and you didn't bring anything? Remember how awkward you felt? Remember thinking, man, I wish I'd have stopped and picked up something. I didn't know. I wish I'd have stopped and got a little something. And I mean, I feel so awkward not having anything. Everybody's giving gifts and yet here I have, here I stand empty-handed, less. I'll hit this one and, and, and we'll go to the last point. And it's 1230. So I'll hit this one and we'll go to the last point. Number two, they will experience the last judgment. Now, before you get too crazy on me, let me explain what I'm talking about. I want you to take your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 20. Someone who has a deathbed conversion, what will they experience they will experience loss. They will experience less. And I believe this. I believe that they will experience the last judgment. Now, let me, let me give me just a, a moment of grace while I explain to you what I'm talking about. Revelation 20, verse 11, the Bible says, And I saw, John said, and I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were just out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, let me quickly say this. I don't believe that the saved man will be judged at this judgment. The saved man will be at something called the judgment seat of Christ. But I do believe this. I believe we'll be present. I'll, I'll never be judged at the great white throne. You know why? You know why I won't be judged? Because my sins were judged in Jesus 2,000 years ago. So because he justified me, because he saved me, 
as Brother Mike preached on Wednesday night, boy, thank God because of that, I'll never have to stand at the great white throne judgment and be judged according to my sins. But I do believe this, church. I believe we'll be present. Not in the judgment, but at the judgment. I believe that we will watch as people come through the great white throne, and I know this is pretty heavy. I know it is this morning. But every once in a while, we need a little heavy preaching. And I believe we will watch as people that we know, people that we love, people that we were kin to, people that we worked with, people that we lived beside, we will watch as they come through the great white throne judgment. And, and the Bible says that God will open the books and they'll be judged according to their sin. And God will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And they will be hurled into a Christless eternity. And I believe we'll watch. We say, preacher, why, why do you believe that? Because just a few verses later in Revelation 21, you know what the Bible says? And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. You say, pastor, we're in heaven we're in the presence of God. I mean, the street of gold, the, the gate of pearl, gates of pearl, heavenly splendor, heavenly wonder. Uh, preacher, why, why in the world would, would there be tears in glory? I'll tell you exactly why. Because we, I believe, will stand there at the great white throne judgment and we will see our loved ones who we should have witnessed to, who we should have given a gospel tract to, who we should have invited to the house of God and we'll stand there as they're cast into hell. No one no wonder God will have to supernaturally wipe away the tears from our eyes. And this person that gets saved on their deathbed will see all their buddies walk through. All their drinking buddies. All their doping buddies. All the party, all the party animals. <laughs> Preacher. I'm not worried about living the Christian life right now. We're partying hard. Yeah, and your partying hard friends are gonna be standing in the great white throne judgment line and you'll watch as they're cast into hell. And by the way, I'm not saying this is gonna happen. I'm, I'm not saying it's not gonna happen either. Could it be that some of those that we know will see us? And they'll say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? If you knew, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you warn me? Why didn't you give me a gospel track? Why, why didn't you invite me to your church? I mean, all those times that we were together and you never once invited me to your church. I, I, and, and, and someone says, well, you know, I'd be embarrassed or they're not used to this kind of church. Brother, you say what you want to say and make every excuse you want to make, but I'm telling you, there is coming a day when God will have to wipe away the tears from our eyes. Amen. The last judgment. All right, we got to bring this thing to a close. He will experience loss. He will experience less. He will experience the last judgment behind this Calvary. He will experience the Lord. Take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 14, and we're done. Romans chapter 14. 
and verse number 10. Romans chapter 14, verse number 10. What a scripture. And what Paul says in verse number 10, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it in all thy brother? For we shall, what's the next word? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord. What's the next word? Every. Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God so then every one of us, wow, you think maybe the Lord's trying to tell us something here? So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now, we're, we're, the wheels are on the runway. We're getting ready to taxi in. So y'all just hang with me for another minute. Someone says, preacher, heaven's gonna be wonderful. And it is. Heaven is gonna be Amazing. But did you know in Revelation chapter four, when God comes to John on the, on the Isle of Patmos and he, and he gives John that heavenly revelation of heaven. Y'all remember that? Remember how John talks about streets of gold and he talks about gates of pearl, talks about a crystal river and tree of life. He talks about all these wonderful things, the city and how big it's going to be and how wide it's going to be and how tall it's going to be and all these things. And, he, and it, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's awesome. Have you ever noticed in the book of Revelation that long before John ever, 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 ever talks about any of those things, the first thing John says about heaven is this. And I saw a throne. I saw a throne. Long before the street of gold, long before the crystal river, John said one of the first things that I saw in heaven was a throne. You know what a throne implies? A throne implies authority. It implies judgment. I'm not saying heaven's, heaven's going to be splendor. Heaven's going to be wonderful. But I'm saying this, that long before we start enjoying the splendor of heaven, we're going to stand before God. I found this statement this week, and I want to read it for you. Someone said it like this. Isn't it amazing what you often hear at a funeral? Someone who never wanted to be with God on this earth all of a sudden dies and we say they're in a better place spending eternity with a God that they never wanted to be with here. We're mixed up. Now, I just want us to understand something, that we will stand before the Lord. That's heavy. That's heavy preaching. But it's needful heavy preaching. Hey, you know what, Calvary? Man, it's time to quit playing church. And, I, and by the way, I'm preaching to myself in case you're wondering. Man, I'm preaching to me this morning. I mean, while I'm preaching, the Spirit of God is convicting my heart. I'm, and I'm not just saying that. I'm telling you, God is working on me while I'm preaching this morning. We don't have time to waste. 
We don't have time to mess around. We don't have time to procrastinate and, and say, one of these days I'm going to serve God and one of these days I'm going to get saved and one of these days I'm going to get dedicated. Man, we may not have one of these days. Probably not many, but a few of your older folks remember, or you recognize this name. His name was Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb, other than Babe Ruth, was probably the greatest baseball player who ever lived. He had over 4,100 hits in his career. But the biggest hit he ever made was while he was on his deathbed. On July the 17th, 1961, with tears in his eyes, he welcomed Jesus Christ as the Lord of his life. And then just a few moments later, listen to this now, before he perished, before he died, this is what he said to his pastor. He said, Pastor, tell my children that I'm sorry that it was the last part of the ninth inning when I came to know Jesus Christ. I wish it would have happened in the top half of the first. You're here this morning and you don't know that you know that you know that you're born again. You don't know that you're saved. Don't wait. You say, preacher, what, what about? Don't wait. Or what is so-and-so going to think? Who cares? Don't wait. Don't wait. If you're here this morning and you're battling, battling, battling with assurance of salvation and you just cannot seem to get it nailed down, get it nailed down today. Don't wait, don't wait, don't wait. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I am saved, but my life is not where it needs to be, don't wait. Let's do business with the Lord today. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, thank you for this time we've had together today. Lord, I pray that you'll bring the increase from this attempt at preaching. Father, I think the moral of the story is we don't have time to wait. We don't have time to, to, to put off what you want us to do. Father, that, that one that is here this morning, and Lord, they know in their heart of hearts, they know that if they died, heaven would probably not be their home. God, I pray today, in just a moment, that you'd help them to come. I'm asking you right now to give them supernatural courage. And I pray they'll come, and I pray that today will be the day of their salvation, once and for all, once and for all. Those who are battling with assurance, and it's been going on for months and months and months, today I pray they'll get it nailed down. Those who are, who are, who are born again, well, Lord, today it's time, it's time and, and Lord, somewhere along the line, they got off track a little bit and, and they didn't, and, and maybe it w wasn't intentional, but they got off track, they got away from the Lord. Father, help them to get back in there today. Help them to get back in the will of God. Help them to know that Satan's a liar. And that Lord, you'll put your power on them again and your blessing and you'll use them again to do something great for the cause of Jesus. Father, I'm asking you to work now and I thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. 
Hey, just a few quick questions. Number one is this. How many are here today? And you'd say, Pastor, if I died today, I know beyond a shadow of any doubt, there's not an ounce of doubt. Preacher, I know that I know that I am saved and going to heaven. If you can honestly say that without anybody looking around, would you just slip your hand up very quickly? And you can take it right back down again. Thank you so much for your response. Can I ask you this question? And I want those who are watching on the live stream to hear me as well. I wonder how many are here and you'd say, Pastor, in all honesty, I'm not sure I could raise my hand. And if I were to die, to die today, Pastor, I'm really not sure that I would go to heaven. I want to go, preacher. I want to go. But I'm just not sure. Preacher, would you remember me? Here's my hand. Just pray for me. Here's my hand. And right now, you'd slip up your hand and let me pray for you. Would you slip your hand up right now? Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure. God bless you. Who else? Who else? Preacher, this is me. If I died right now, I'm not 100% sure that I would go. I want you to pray for me. Preacher, would you remember me? You'd raise your hand right now. Is there another anywhere across the auditorium? I see that hand. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Wonderful. You know what I think? If I was some of our Calvary folk, I think what I'd probably do right now is I'd just slip out and come start praying. Right before we pray, is there one more anywhere who would say, Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure. I want you to pray for me. You'd slip your hand up right now. Is there another? Anywhere? You haven't raised it yet. You'll raise it now. Now, I'm not going to come back and, and try to get you down the aisle. I'm not going to do that. I'm just, but I want to pray for you. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. How many are here today would say, Pastor, I am saved, but, 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 but. It's time to rededicate my life back to the Lord. I know it is. God's been dealing with me about it. I know it is. And if that's you this morning, preacher, it's time for me to rededicate my life back to Jesus. Right now, you'd slip your hand up. Pastor, remember me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Yes, yes, yes. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Would you stand with us all over the house this morning, Father? As our personal workers are coming right now, Lord, to position themselves across the front, God, I pray that you'll speak to hearts. I believe you're doing that already. Father, these that have slipped up their hand and very honestly they've said they weren't sure about heaven. Lord, would you help them to step out and come? And We'd like to take the Word of God and just show them some verses on how they can know. We're not going to make them give a speech or anything like that. We'd just like to... We'd just like to to help them today. And then I pray, Heavenly Father, you'd help Christians come and rededicate their life to Jesus. Lord, help, help somebody to get back in today, to get back in the fold, to get, to get back where they need to be in serving Christ. God, have your way now, please. And we sure thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name.